Hey guys, this is Jay Shear, host of the Reclamation Society podcast. Today we're discussing Luke Cage, episode five. We're going to take a deep dive into what the storytellers are telling us is true and the major and minor themes weaved throughout the episode. We focus primarily on spirituality, human nature, and relationships, although this particular episode also has some things to say about the government, which I'll cover. And as always, this podcast will contain spoilers. If you haven't watched episode five yet, you might want to do so prior to listening in. I do want to mention this is going to be an extra long episode because we have lots to talk about coming from episode five of Luke Cage, so just hang with me there. And before I get started with that, I do want to mention that we'd love for you to support the Reclamation Society. We are a nonprofit, and all donations are tax deductible. Donations contribute to the production of our stories, these podcasts, and our blog posts. So visit www.reclamationsociety.org slash give to become a supporter and keep this going. Okay, I think that's it. Uh, I don't have a guest with me today. I haven't had a guest with me on any of the Luke Cage uh, podcasts, but I do love hearing from you guys. And if there's something you'd like to contribute, please shoot me an email at reclamationsociety at gmail.com and I will read it on a future podcast. Also want to let you know that um, Reclamation Society is now on MZ, the new social network, and we're creating a community of people who can discuss these podcasts and some of the other stories that we cover all on MZ. So go over there and follow us if you can. That'd be fantastic. Let's dive into episode five. First, my subjective thoughts. Uh, episode five was just okay for me, um, particularly after what I thought was such a fantastic episode four, and I did a podcast on that if you want to go listen to that. I'd give this one a six or seven out of ten. It was a bit slow for me. I did love the opening song from Jadena, uh, which we'll talk about in some more in a minute. That's a fantastic song. I really like that. And the story does progress, but right now we're stuck in a place where nothing threatens Luke. He's invincible. Um, this story hints that there could, that could change, but in this episode, as Luke defends some of the people of Harlem, he's in no immediate danger and that just, it's not as exciting as it could be for me. I know that taking more chances is a part of his character arc, particularly as he starts to become a superhero and he's starting to put himself out there and take more risks. But right now there's not a lot of tension and that's slowing things down a bit. I did, however, love the use of color and the tones that were used in this episode. I thought that was fantastic. Um, and again, love the Jadena song at the beginning of the show. But enough of my opinion. Let's get into some of the themes running throughout episode five. And like I said before, there's a ton of them. So this is going to be a fairly long podcast. So in our last podcast about episode four of Luke Cage, we talked about Luke quoting from a passage of the, in the Bible um, about Jesus Christ. At the end of the fourth episode, Mr. Cage recites Luke 4.18. And at that time, I mentioned that I thought Luke 4.18 might even become a motto for the character. And I wondered if Luke Cage would be portrayed as a Christ-like figure. Um, if you go back to our very first podcast, we discussed Man of Steel, Zack Snyder's Superman film. And we talked about how Superman is often compared to Christ. And with Mr. Cage reading from Luke 4.18 in episode 4, I wondered if the storytellers were encouraging us to draw a similar comparison between Luke Cage and Jesus Christ, just like Zack Snyder was asking us to draw some comparisons between Superman and Jesus Christ. Well, 
Episode 5 does seem to carry on that theme. There are two specific references to Jesus Christ in the show. They come from Cornell Stokes and Shades, and both characters compare Luke Cage to Jesus Christ. The first comparison comes when Luke Cage visits Cottonmouth at his club. This is a defining moment for Cage, who is essentially confronting Cottonmouth face-to-face and warning him to stop messing with the people of Harlem. And Cottonmouth's response here is... It costs to be a savior, ask Jesus. So he's kind of saying it as a warning, like just be aware that if you're going to save the people of Harlem, it's going to come with a cost. And he's saying to ask Jesus. So this is a reference to Jesus Christ being crucified. And let's unpack this just a bit. Um, And a quick note for all of you listeners, there are many views on Jesus Christ out there. I'm familiar with quite a few of them, but because the show seems to be comparing Luke Cage to the story of Jesus from the Bible and comparing him to being a savior in this case, uh, I'm going to focus there. That's where most of my spiritual knowledge comes from, so I'm comfortable hanging out here. But if you can see the comparison being made from another spiritual angle or even from another kind of religion's take on Jesus, I'd love to hear your thoughts about that. Just send us an email. So let's start by asking this question. Do human beings need a savior? Okay, so Stokes references Jesus as a savior, but you might stop the comparison right there and ask whether or not that reference is even legit. But let's assume that it is legit, and assuming that we do need a savior, what in the world does that have to do with Jesus? So this is a more complex question with a more complex answer, and it requires us to understand two tenets of Christianity. The first is that God has a high moral standard. And this probably isn't surprising because a high moral standard is very common amongst all world religions. Uh, Most major world religions have two essential moral components. One being obedience to a deity and two being rules governing interaction uh, between human beings. Christianity has both. And just as a side note, because many actually get this wrong about Christianity, including Christians, the high moral standard is actually meant to be a benefit to us, meaning that it's a standard based on human beings being unselfish and actually loving one another. Uh, But that's another topic altogether. Um, Christianity does resemble most other world religions in that regard, meaning that access to God or achieving a higher spiritual plane of existence requires that we adhere to a high moral standard. And failure to adhere to that standard results in separation from God. And that's sort of what you'd expect from most major world religions is that um, obedience to the moral standard is what is required. The main difference between Christianity and other religions, and the reason why Jesus Christ is considered, as Cottonmouth claims, a savior, is that the biblical narrative tells us that it's impossible for human beings to live up to God's moral standard. The God of the Bible basically says, none of you, human beings, are worthy. Okay, It's not about how much good you did compared to how much bad you did. There isn't a scale with your selfish acts on one side and your unselfish acts on the other. It's very simple. If you've ever done anything inherently selfish, you're out. If you want um, an impossible to achieve moral standard, you have found it. The God of the Bible does require perfection. That is his standard. And obviously, this creates a major problem for human beings, us, because nobody is perfect. And the Bible actually tells um, story after story about this being the case. 
And it's telling us that it's quite literally impossible for us to save ourselves. We would need to adhere perfectly to the standard, which is impossible to do. So the Bible establishes this narrative. We need someone to save us. If it's impossible for us to save ourselves, and if God wants to have a relationship with us, uh, that can't happen, right? There's, there's no way for that to happen. If we can't be perfect, but God requires perfection, we're screwed. And so this is the narrative in which we need a savior. And this is also where Jesus Christ enters the story. So Jesus is sent by God to earth to live as a human. For Christ followers, Jesus is both fully God and also fully human. And that's sort of, you know, something you can reflect on a little bit more, but that's, those are the tenets that are going on. It's not like a half and half thing where it's like half God and half human. It's not like, um, you know, the, the son of Zeus, um, Hercules, right? Son of Zeus saying it's half God, half human. No, this is actually God. Um, Jesus is actually fully God, but also fully human. And that's an important part of the narrative um, from the Bible's perspective. So this is literally God taking on a human body, being subject to all of the human body's conditions, um, but also being fully God. Now, why is this important? Well, because as I just mentioned, God can only accept perfection. And in the biblical narrative, Jesus is perfect. So Jesus is born um, to a human woman. Um, he is fully God, fully human, and he is perfect. He doesn't do anything wrong. He lives up to the high moral standard that is demanded by God. Now you can start to see why he might be considered a savior, which we're going to keep unpacking. But if I can't be acceptable to God and you can't be acceptable to God because we're not perfect, well, what are we going to do? Well, Jesus was perfect and therefore was acceptable to God. Now the question is, why do Christians call Jesus a savior? And here's the real kicker. An imperfect person can't be accepted by God. We talked about this a second ago. Therefore, an imperfect person can't have a relationship with God. But a perfect person can. That means that Jesus, being perfect, has been accepted, but you and I are rejected. And you probably see where this is going. If you and I can't achieve the high moral standard demanded by God, we're rejected. How can we possibly be accepted? Well, only if we're allowed to approach God through Jesus Christ. So here's where Cottonmouth's reference starts to make more sense. Cottonmouth said, it costs to be a savior, ask Jesus. What's the penalty for not adhering to God's moral standard? Separation from God even after death. And that's what you get unless you have a savior. And in this story, the Bible story, that savior is Jesus Christ. So human beings are imperfect, deserving of death, and deserving of separation from God because we don't show enough love to one another. But according to the Bible, God attributes all of our sin to Jesus Christ instead of God punishing us for our own imperfections and our evil, evil behaviors, if you will, our selfishness, he allows Jesus to be killed on our behalf and therefore can absolve us of all of our selfish, evil behavior through the work of Jesus Christ. So if that's the case, then Jesus becomes a savior. And this is where Cottonmouth's statement is coming from. Jesus is a savior for humanity. 
the one person who could restore the broken relationship between God and humans. But, as Cottonmouth indicates, it costs to be a savior. And here's the final point to be made as we're unpacking that statement as it relates to a comparison of Luke Cage to Jesus Christ. Um, According to the Christian Bible, the only way for humans to have a relationship with God, because remember, God demands perfection, is for our imperfection, what the Bible would refer to as sin, that's what Christians refer to as sin, um, not to count against us, right? So if we have sin counting against us, we're automatically imperfect. Um, Therefore, we need to be perfect somehow. And that is why Jesus Christ is considered a savior because he took our sins onto himself. And if you read the biblical narrative, which can be read in the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, um, Jesus was killed for our sake. And because he was killed for our sake, we can now have a relationship with God because God doesn't see our unrighteousness. He sees us as perfect because of what Jesus Christ did. We get to swap reputations with Jesus Christ, so to speak. Um, So him being perfect took on all the sin so that we could be made perfect. And if I'm not explaining this well enough for you or complete enough for you, shoot me an email. I'm glad to talk about it again, or we can exchange emails on the topic. Um, But let's dive in a little bit deeper here. So how does it cost? So it says it costs to be a savior. How does it cost? So God said that he would not accept sin. He wouldn't accept us hurting one another. He doesn't accept us having imperfections and being selfish. And therefore, there had to be a cost associated with that, right? It's sort of like giving somebody um, a rule to follow. And if you break the rule, there's no consequences. Obviously, there's got to be consequences. Otherwise, why would you have a rule in the first place? So in this case, uh, what cost is greater than losing your life? And that's what what, um, basically God says, um, is that there is a cost of sin. That cost is death. But it's actually worse even than death because the cost of sin is having God turn his back on you and not have a relationship with you. So not only does Jesus die on our behalf, so he dies for us taking on our sin, he also has God turn away from him because God can't accept sin. So when Jesus takes all of our sin onto his own shoulders, God rejects him. So let me allow this to sink in just for a second. In order for Jesus Christ to be a savior and in order for it to cost, as Cottonmouth says, then he had to die and God had to reject him. And the second part there is the real kicker. God had to reject Jesus Christ because when Jesus took on the sin of the world, that made him imperfect and God cannot accept that. But that was our imperfection that Jesus took on. It was human beings' imperfection that Jesus took on because he was perfect And that's why it was a sacrifice. That's why it costs something. So he actually had the ability to have a relationship with God, even though we didn't. But he said, I'll take that on and I'll die and I'll have God reject me so that you can. Therefore, it is a sacrifice. Therefore, it costs. And there you have it. That's why Cottonmouth says to ask Jesus about the cost of being a savior. Obviously, there's a lot more depth in the biblical narrative that we could get into, but I'll stop there because I've gone on for quite a bit. Um, But please let me know if I missed something or if you have a comment you'd like to add. Um, And I can always read your email on a future podcast. 
One more thing before I continue to our next topic. Um, the most important thing I can add uh, to this topic is that Christianity is different from every other religion that I'm aware of because having a relationship with God is not based on the moral standard. So Christianity says that you've already failed God's moral standard, you're imperfect, and therefore you need a savior. And that's why God sent Jesus to die on the cross so that you could have a relationship with him. Uh, The reason I bring that up is because a lot of the time, all you hear, and you even hear this from supposed Christians, is a morality doctrine, meaning that like you must do these things, right? Like you hear that a lot in the Christian circles. You must do this, you must do this, you must do that, this. And it's not to say that like obviously doing, um, being a moral person is good, but morality can't save anyone because we're all imperfect. So if we're all imperfect, how can we possibly live up to the moral standard? We can't. Therefore, that's why Christians believe that we need Jesus. And that's why Jesus would be our savior. So it's a little bit of a soapbox there in the last little bit, Um, but just doing so to explain that uh, sometimes the message gets kind of strange in the circles that are out there, especially when it gets into the morality doctrine, which is kind of weird. Anyways, moving on. The second statement that compares Luke Cage to Jesus comes from Shades. So in describing a bullet that he believes might be able to kill Luke Cage, Shades says something to the effect of, if you wanted to kill Jesus, this is the bullet you'd use. The bullet is named Judas. So let's break this down as to why this reference is relevant if we're going to compare Luke Cage to Jesus, which the show seems to be encouraging us to do with all of these references to Jesus and to Luke Cage. So we just left off with Jesus needing to die and have God reject him, right? So that's in the Christian narrative, that's how we can then have relationship with God. Um, that's exactly what does happen in the biblical narrative, meaning that Jesus takes on the sin or unrighteousness of the world and dies on behalf of humanity. And he's dead for three days. And during that time, God completely rejects him and turns his back on him. So the significance of him being dead for three days is profound. Um, it's honestly not talked about that much when you hear about Christianity. Um, you might watch a movie like the passion of the Christ and you know, it's a very violent um, portrayal of Jesus's death, but it doesn't actually talk about the even more important part of that scenario in which when Jesus dies, God rejects Jesus and turns his back on Jesus. And that is even much more potent in the spiritual um, context of what's happening. Um, So the Christian teaching is basically that God turned his back on Jesus for three days while he was dead. And that's significant in the Christian sense because God is love and to have God turn away from you means essentially um, that you're in hell. So hell being defined as separation from God in in this instance. So I mentioned earlier that Jesus was fully God and fully human. And that's the important part, point, that's the important point to be made here. As a human, Jesus took on the sin of the world, died a painful death, and was separated from God and rejected by God on behalf of humanity. But the biblical narrative doesn't stop there because Jesus Christ rises from the dead. So he takes on all sin, he feels the pain of having God turn his back on him, and then he rises from the dead and returns to earth. So the importance of his resurrection is twofold for Christians. One, it's an indication that he wasn't just fully human. So humans obviously can't rise from the dead on their own. 
he was also fully God. And this is where um, a lot of people actually uh, reject the Jesus Christ of the Bible because they feel he has a lot of good things to say, but they actually do not believe that he's also fully God. So that's just an important point to be noted there. A lot of, there's even biblical scholars who believe um, that Jesus existed, but that he's not God. Um, Me, in my case, I do believe that he's also God. So the Bible then tells us that Jesus rose from the dead. The second important reason he rose from the dead is that this isn't just a one-time sacrifice. In in other words, his death purged us of our sin, right? Um, If we choose to follow him, but he doesn't stay dead. If he had stayed dead, that would mean we'd need another sacrifice in the future, but we don't need another sacrifice because he rose from the dead and lives on as a permanent reminder that he was the sacrifice for us and that God did reject him for those three days. Okay, so Jesus took on our sin and died, but because he's God, he conquered the consequence of sin, that being death, and and comes back as God and is still living and associated with God now. In fact, the Bible tells us that he sits with God in heaven as a reminder to God that we are no longer condemned because Jesus already took care of or destroyed our sin and our imperfection was put on him so that we can be made perfect in the eyes of God, which means that we as human beings can also have a relationship with God if we choose to. Again, we have free will, so we can choose not to have a relationship with God if we want to. So I don't want to get too far off topic here, though. The point here is that Shade's comment is basically saying that if you shot Jesus with a bullet, the Judas bullet, he would never have been able to rise from the dead. That's how strong the bullet is in his definition. So why is the bullet called Judas? Well, Judas was a follower of Jesus Christ who betrayed Jesus Christ Uh, Judas basically helped the religious leaders of the day who considered Jesus a heretic. He helped them capture Jesus. And that betrayal set up the events that would lead to Jesus' eventual death. Hence the name Judas for the bullet. So what's interesting to me is that Luke Cage is being compared to Jesus in both references. In Cottonmouth's reference, Cornell indicates that Luke will have to go through pain and hurt in order to save the people in Harlem. And then in Shade's reference, he's associating Luke's invincibility with Jesus's ability to rise from the dead. So the first correlation is maybe a little bit better than the second correlation, but it metaphorically kind of works. As you can see from the deeper dive into those phrases, the creators of Luke Cage are definitely tying their main character to some widely held religious symbolism, particularly Christian symbolism. And of course, I like that because it allows us to have a deeper discussion about spirituality, and I think that's a really positive thing. So hopefully you think that too. Even if you don't believe what I believe, or if you don't believe what the Bible has been talking about with Jesus Christ, it at least gives you a fuller picture of why the show is even going there, and why the show is even causing these comparisons to show up. So now my question to you is, what do you think about the comparisons between Luke Cage and Jesus Christ? Is it a stretch? Is it ridiculous? Or is it, you know, really fascinating? How do you feel about it? Shoot me an email and let me know what you think. Just as a reminder, our email address is society at gmail.com. Okay, that leads me to our next spiritual topic. So we haven't even moved on from the spirituality components because this episode is so fully packed with stuff. Now, the next spiritual topic is Santeria. 
And uh, obviously, admittedly, as you can probably tell, I have far more knowledge of Christianity than I do of some of the other world religions. But I did research this one a bit to be able to speak a little bit more intelligently on the topic. So if you have any additional details to add, maybe some details that I don't know about, please do so by sending me an email. So Santeria comes up in the conversation between Claire and Soledad, who I believe is Claire's mother. I'm not super clear on that, but I believe that's what um, Soledad is, Claire's mom. And Claire is reflecting on the things that she's seen, both in Hell's Kitchen, which is a reference to Marvel's Daredevil series, also on Netflix. She appears in that series. And then also with Luke Cage. And in that context, Soledad brings up Claire's grandmother, I think, unless I missed that reference. I believe it's her grandmother. And the implication being that Claire's grandmother used to have some sort of special skills, potentially related to healing other people, and that maybe those skills or abilities were passed down to Claire. Because obviously we know Claire is sort of a nurse. She's helped Daredevil recover from multiple things. She's had her run-ins with Luke Cage as well. And so this is basically drawing a correlation and saying, you know, maybe based on your grandmother passed some of those traits and some of those abilities down to you. And that's why you can heal people better than other people might be able to. So Claire responds to this by saying that she doesn't believe in Santeria. But Soledad's quick response is that the grandmother didn't practice Santeria so much as she was a traditional Latin American healer or curandera. Now, I may be pronouncing that wrong. Let me know if I'm pronouncing that wrong. And a curandera is a Latin American reference to a doctor, shaman, or healer. And there's some indication that after Catholicism came to Latin America, the curanderas began to use the Roman Catholic healing techniques as well. So it's not just, um, not necessarily just pagan kind of uh, witch doctor, shaman, healer techniques, but also some of the techniques that were brought over by the Roman Catholics as they um, began to come over to Latin America. So I should take a moment to let you guys know that most of my information on this topic is coming from Wikipedia. Um, If you have any additional info or if I get anything wrong, if I say something wrong, please feel free to let me know. Um, so this specific reference to Santeria comes from the fact that some of the Africans enslaved in Latin America would pretend to practice Roman Catholic traditions while actually practicing their native traditions and rituals. The melding of the two traditions, both the native traditions and the Roman Catholic traditions, became known as Santeria, wherein the traditional native beliefs were practiced with some influences from Catholicism. So, both this and the previous discussion about comparing Luke Cage to Jesus Christ raise some interesting questions for us to consider. What is it that makes us believe in the supernatural, right? Both Santeria and both um, Christianity say that there is such a thing as the supernatural. And we've talked a lot about this on the Reclamation Society podcast. It It even came up in our Stranger Things podcast. And it makes sense because we use stories and storytelling as a means by which to better understand the world around us. So of course we would attempt to understand the world using superheroes. And of course these stories would include elements of popular world religions and even not so popular ones. I often think of superheroes as modern mythological gods, much like the Roman or the Greek gods. These larger-than-life characters make a giant impact on the world and force us to consider what it means to be human. And I don't think most people treat superheroes as actual gods. 
but we do go to community theaters to watch these gods on the big screen. It's similar to how the Romans and Greeks might go to the city center to hear storytellers talk about the exploits of those mythological gods. So that's why the Reclamation Society discusses these topics, to discover what truths exist in these stories. And if you listen, it's probably because you want to discover those truths as well. You're not content to watch mindlessly. You want to dive deeper because the truth matters. And if you're like me, you desire to seek the truth where it can be found. If you have any additional thoughts about either comparing Luke Cage to Jesus Christ, or about Santeria, or even about Roman or Greek mythologies... Please share them with us. This is really meant to start a discussion more than anything else. Better than me just talking to you. Okay, we spend a lot of time on spirituality, but there are a couple more points worth discussing from episode five of Luke Cage. And the first is a reference to benign neglect. In the beginning of the episode, one of Cottonmouth's henchmen brings it up. But as he starts to explain why they might consider leaving Luke Cage alone as opposed to fighting back against him, Cornell actually just promptly shoots him. But I wanted to know a little bit more about what they meant by benign neglect. So I googled it. And the term, according to Google, essentially refers to non-interference that is intended to benefit someone or something more than continual attention would. Okay, so it's a big, that's kind of a big phrase, but let's unpack it. According to Wikipedia and a New York Times article from 2008 by Francis Wilkinson, the term benign neglect was used in Daniel Moynihan, by, by Daniel Moynihan in a 1970 memo that he wrote to then-President Richard Nixon. In the memo, Moynihan essentially indicates that perhaps the less that perhaps less effort should be spent on the subject of race in America, basically suggesting that non-interference with race might be more beneficial than fighting for further racial equality. And the essential question I think this brings up for us is basically, how involved should the government be in maintaining and improving race relations across the United States? And I think this show, Luke Cage, has a couple of insights on the topic. The first comes from the Jadena song in the beginning of the episode, the one that I mentioned that I really liked. The song, called Long Live the Chief, describes Jadena's intention to rise to the top. And throughout the song, he espouses long-term thinking and proactive strategies for achieving and maintaining respect. So in relationship to benign neglect, the song feels like an anthem of empowerment, almost as if to say, even if you do nothing, government... I'll work to make this happen on my own. Um, an article on the Federalist website written by uh, Molly Hemingway, it, it came out in 2015, analyzes the song from that same angle, which she calls self-government. And this point of view on self-reliance as opposed to government involvement is also espoused by Co Cottonmouth, actually. He wants to change Harlem, and though he's working alongside his cousin Mariah, he's also taking matters into his own hands. And maybe... This is a response to what feels like benign neglect, meaning that government, if you're not going to help us out, if you're going to practice benign neglect and let, the, let everything run its course, then we're going to step up and we're going to take care of things. It's, um, it's a little reminiscent for me when I think of the Black Lives Matter movement today, or even when I see police protests on the news. That's people, those are people who are rising up to say our government is failing us and so we're taking action. 
So what do you think? What should the government, what should we do when the government fails us? What responsibility does the government have when it comes to race in the United States or abroad? And what responsibilities do we ourselves have in the matter? Not only people of color, but whites as well. I'd love to hear your thoughts. But I love that song, and I love the fact that um, there's a proactive approach there, even with the Black Lives Movement, um, people rising up and saying, hey, look, we need to pay attention to this. Uh, I think that's great. One more thing I want to mention, and that's Luke's insistence that he clear his name and ensure that his name carries respect. So Cottonmouth drags Luke's name through the mud because when his henchmen collect payment from neighborhood businesses, he blames Luke Cage for his aggressive tactics. Luke responds by taking matters into his own hands and ensuring that his name has more respect, both from Cottonmouth and the rest of Harlem. So my last question is, what does it mean to have a good name or have a name that carries respect? Is it important? And what sort of name commands respect? And how should we respect someone's name? What, what qualities do we respect in them? What qualities should we respect in them? And I think it's a good question because obviously Luke Cage espouses a lot of really good qualities and Cottonmouth doesn't. But even despite that, we still have, sort of have a level of respect for both of them. So what should we show respect to and what shouldn't we show respect to? Pretty good questions that I will leave to you to explore. So with that, I will end this particular podcast. Thank you for sticking with me until the end. I know it was a long podcast this time around, and I know it's only me talking to you. Don't have a, don't have a guest on this one, but hopefully it kept you entertained. And I really appreciate the conversation, and I'd love to hear what you think. I've mentioned that several times throughout the podcast, and I'm just going to say it again. If you'd like to respond, please write us an email at reclamationsociety at gmail.com to let us know what you think. I will read it on a future podcast. Another way to um, show us that you care about what we're doing is to review this podcast on iTunes. I'd love to have a review from you, even if it's just a short one. Just cruise over to iTunes, search for Reclamation Society Podcast, and it literally takes only a few seconds to rate our podcast on iTunes. Also, don't forget to subscribe. If this is the first podcast you're listening from, to from the Reclamation Society, please subscribe to future podcasts. We have some really cool upcoming topics. We're going to continue our Luke Cage series. We have our Stranger Things series, the controversial Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, the Ultimate Edition. So please subscribe. We'd love to have you back. We'd love to have you keep listening. And as always, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Last thing I'll say, please consider donating to the Reclamation Society to help us make this podcast and develop some of our own original works as well. We really appreciate it. Even if it's just a, a dollar or two per month, that's fantastic for us. You can give at www.reclamationsociety.org give. Thank you for listening. Until next time, question everything in the stories you read, watch, and listen to, and always seek the truth.